In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. In the 1950s, heart attacks were an epidemic across America. Everybody was getting heart attacks. Once you hit your 50s, it was very, very likely that you would suffer from some kind of ailment of your heart. They didn't have any of the drugs or or any of the know-how that we have nowadays to, to combat this sort of a thing. And in the 1950s, the same time period, two doctors met in a pub in Pennsylvania. One of them was a professor from Oklahoma, the other one was a local doctor. And they started talking, and the doctor from Pennsylvania, he said, you know, I rarely almost I almost never see any patients from the town of Rosetto that have heart failure. And for the other doctor to hear this, he was, it was hard to believe because, as I said, in the, in the 50s, it was an epidemic. You couldn't get away from it. So the doctor from Oklahoma, he decided to do an investigation. He wanted to figure out what was What was the the solution? What did they do differently from other people? Why from this town were they they free from from all of these these heart diseases that that were just so common across America? So he started look, to look into it, and he started to, he, he had a whole team, and they, brought, they, they went into the town of Rosetto in Pennsylvania, it's a rural town, and they started to find out that it was true. In Rosetto, virtually no one under 55 had died of a heart attack or showed any signs of heart disease. And they also found out that there was no suicide, there was no alcoholism, there was no drug addiction and very little crime. They didn't have anyone on welfare, and when, we looked, when they looked at pep- peptic ulcers, they didn't find any of these either. These people were dying of old age. That's it. So they decided to look into, well, maybe it was genetics. Maybe, maybe there was something specific about these people that it was... And, and they, were, they were actually, mostly, they were, they were comprised of Italian immigrants who had come over from a place of the same name in Italy. So they thought maybe it was genetic. So they, they found some people that had left this little town of these Italian immigrants, and they had gone off to different parts of the States, and they found out, no, they were, they were suffering just as much as everybody else from heart disease. And they said, well, maybe it was the region, maybe that specific region in Pennsylvania that had something special to it. So they compared it with the towns next to them, and they found out, no, it wasn't the region. And they said, well, maybe it's diet. Maybe there was something to do with the diet. And they looked at their diet, and this is funny. The Rosettans were cooking with lard instead of the much healthier olive oil that they had used back in Italy. Pizza in Italy was a thin crust with salt, oil, and perhaps some tomatoes, anchovies, or onions. But pizza in Pennsylvania 
was bread dough plus sausage, pepperoni, salami, ham, and sometimes eggs. Sweets such as biscotti and tarali used to be reserved for Christmas and Easter, but in Rosetto, they were eaten year-round. When the dietitians analyzed the typical Rosettans' eating habits, they found that a whopping 41% of their calories came from fat. Nor was this a town where people got up at dawn to do yoga and run a brisk six miles. The Pennsylvania Rosettans smoked heavily, and many were struggling with obesity. You get the picture. There was nothing that they could pinpoint in this community that preserved them from this epidemic that was running across America. And they had to eventually say that it wasn't diet, it wasn't genetics, it wasn't the region, it was Rosetto. It was the community. So they looked at how the Rosettans visited one another, stopping to chat in Italian on the streets, say, cooking for another in their backyards. They learned about the extended family clans that underlay the town's social structure. They saw how many homes had three generations living under one roof, and how much respect grandparents commanded. They went to Mass at Our Lady of Mount Carmel and saw the unifying and calming effect of the church. They counted 22 separate civic organizations in a town of just under 2,000 people. They picked up on the particular egalitarian ethos of the community, which discouraged the wealthy from flaunting their success and helped the unsuccessful obscure their failures. So they concluded that it wasn't anything scientific. It had to have been that community. And I think we could even go a step further. We could say that the key wasn't just the community, but what really maybe gave the soul to the community was the fact that they lived by their faith. And that they were convinced of God's love for them, and that's why they acted in that way towards those around them. And let's not be under any false impressions that a good community is just a good organization. A good community starts with one individual person speaking with another individual person. And then from there, you have a community spirit, and then that grows. But if you can't look, if we can't look at somebody, or when we meet somebody, if the first thing that we do is we judge how they look, or how they dress, or what are they doing coming into these doors, or maybe the first conversation that we have with them is we start talking about how bad the COVID thing was and how it was all a false epidemic or how the Americans never landed on the moon or whatever the case might be and have to share this, this one YouTube video that we just saw over the week because that proves it. No, when we speak to one individual person, 
with the spirit of charity, it has to be not that we're talking at them, but we're talking to them. And that's a big difference. Talking to them means that we're trying to understand and trying to listen to them and hear what they have to say. And that person will feel like they're being listened to, that they're welcome, they're being heard. And if there's anything that drew people to Christ, we have to say it's that one thing. Why were there countless people lining up, queuing up to go to our Lord, of course, to be cured, but also to have that experience? What was that like? What was that like for for Christ to speak to one individual person and to listen to them? It's no wonder why people were flocking back to him. Romans 13, 8. He that loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. As St. Paul tells us, it's as simple as that. He that loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. But let's get a little bit more specific. Let's go back to these Rosettans in Pennsylvania. They said that they, this town was set up very much like their, their town in Rosetto in Italy. Their, their houses were clustered close together, um, so they were rubbing shoulders with each other all the time. And they built a church that was very much like their church back in Italy. And they called it by the same name. The town was the same name. And this church was really the heart, it was the center of their town, of their community. And if, you, if any of you know Italians at all, you know that they love to, they're very expressive and they love to sing. And if you walked into that church in the 1950s, say 10 o'clock, sung mass, you can imagine what you experienced by walking into that church. You could see, we can just envision them, right? They're all standing up and they're just bellowing out the Kyrie. They're yelling it. They're saying it. They're, they're just singing it as loud as they can because they're Italian. But also because they believe and they're expressing that belief, not as a single person, not as one person going in there and just saying their prayers, which, is not, which isn't wrong, but they're doing it together as one person, standing up together, kneeling down together, singing out loud and off tune, whatever the case might be, together. And that, perhaps more than anything else, brought them together. Because they were doing something that, despite the differences that they might have, Maybe, they were, maybe one resenting was, was standing next to the butcher who, who charged him too much for the bacon that he bought that week or something like that. But he could oversee that because they were united under this same thing which was more important than anything else they, they disagreed with. And St. Pius X, who was also Italian, would agree. And he, 
as he said, that the best way to participate in the liturgy is at a sung mass by singing. That's pretty clear. You can, come in, you can come into Mass and you can do all your own individual prayers, but you're not participating as fully as when you're singing with the rest of that community. They call this the Rosetto effect, the fact where they couldn't pinpoint any particular thing that made them different than those around them. And as I said, Rosetto in Pennsylvania was structured and looked a lot like the the original Rosetto in, in Italy. But what made Rosetto, Pennsylvania what it was, wasn't how it looked. It wasn't just the way the church looked. It wasn't the way the houses looked. It was the people, and it was that spirit. And it was that overarching spirit of charity that they were living out, that was palpable. Today, if you go to Rosetto, I've never been, but I looked it up. If you go to Rosetto, it looks like it looked back then when, they set up, when these, these Italian immigrants set up the town. But the Rosetto effect no longer applies to Rosetto because in the, the latter part of the 20th century, they became more and more Americanized, for lack of a better word, and they lost what made them special and also they lost, as, as everywhere else, that church being the real center of their community. So it's kind of like a body without a soul. They have what looks like what it used to be, but they don't have that thing. They don't have that spirit. And for us, one question perhaps we should ask ourselves is, right, we've got everything, right? We've got, we, got, we have the Latin Mass. You know, we, all, we have all our statues in place. We have a beautiful church. We have a beautiful hall. We have a great community from the outside. But do we have this welcoming, opening, compassionate spirit of charity that binds us together? Let's ask for this grace so that we never miss that and to live by what is nothing else than that spirit of the liturgy, liturgy, that spirit of Christ giving himself for us, and thus ask that we might reciprocate that in our communities and in the world around us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.